Welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. That was a flawless intro this time. I didn't get tripped up over anything. <laughs> we're, we're true professionals at this point. That's right. We're about like 75 issues in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, look at your, you've got your cane and rinse hat on calling them issues here. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, I've got issues. I like to think that we deal with uh, three issues per episode. So really, we're like, <laughs> what does that make us? Uh, we're outpacing cane and rinse at this point. Right, exactly. We're leaving them in the dust. So I should be able to do quick math in my head. Seven times three was that 21. So we're 210 issues in. Well, we're, we're catching up then. That's right. That's It's too much arithmetic for this early in the day. I understand <laughs> that it is 624 p.m. where I am right now. So I don't know at what time of day I am mentally prepared to do arithmetic, but it is definitely not now. I try not to do it any time before 11.30 p.m. to 12 a.m., and that's kind of my, my window for math. And that's just because you're calculating how much sleep am I going to get if I were to go to bed right now. Really? really I'm thinking, how much sleep am I going to lose over this math problem? Uh, that's the thing. They say count sheep to try to fall asleep, but do you know how stressful that can be? Sheep <laughs> move all over the place. They look virtually identical. Yeah, they that's right. They don't form themselves in clean lines. You know, I didn't, now that you bring this up, I didn't know this until I saw it in person, but did you know that like sheep just wandering on a farm will get like, the farmers will essentially just paint them with a little bit of dye to tell like what sheep have already bred with whom so that they don't oh. like ruin the gene pool. They'll kind of like paint all members of a family a particular color or pattern or something. There might even be a game pitch in there somewhere, but I thought that was interesting when I saw <laughs> it. I was like, why do all these sheep have like a blue spot? It's very strange. That's interesting. I mean, people kind of do that as well. Once we assimilate into a friend group and we kind of take on their, uh, whether there were goths or skaters or whatever, we take on their uh, their external markings right. um, to make sure that we don't breed with the wrong groups. Yeah, that's how I got this 12 gauge in my ears and tongue. So I'm going to just, uh, <laughs> uh, I regret those past decisions. All right. Well, good pitch. We're going to have to come up with a name for that one though. <laughs> uh, the, the sheep that color wrote. Okay. That's terrible. Actually, there was a sheep breeding card game that was uh, released pretty early on on the Switch, I remember seeing. Really? I'm not remembering what it's called, though. Uh, that's I guess that's all part of the Port It to Switch initiative. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and get started. I believe it's your turn to go first today. Ah, well, today I'm bringing you a semi-simple concept. I love Monster Hunter, especially Monster Hunter World, uh, for... PlayStation and all the likes that just came you out just of this wait until the movie. That should that should squeeze it all out of you. <laughs> yeah. Is that really happening? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, they released a couple shots from the Monster Hunter movie, and it's like modern military equipment. And it's like, oh, good. This Perfect. is exactly what I wanted. Yeah. Well, okay. I've got something better than the Monster Hunter movie. 
Uh, it is a monster hunter and you're doing arena battles, or maybe maybe they could be in the regular levels, but I like to think it's arena in close space and you have to battle this monster, but you all don't just get to loot the monster at the end. In fact, last man standing gets to loot the monster. Uh, so, Battle Arena, you are fighting not just a monster, but maybe, let's say, three or four other players at the same time. So be careful where you swing, in other words. And that's my pitch. All right, starting the clock there. So the conflict here is that you don't know if you can trust the other players to not kill you. In fact, you're pretty certain that they will kill you at some point, but you do need them to also destroy the monster. And so I'm trying to think about ways this could be balanced to make sure that the monster defeating can happen, but is still challenging, but also accounting for the fact that player count is going to decrease throughout the battle. Let's see, because like, do you get the, uh, get what I'm saying that um, trying to like put into words the conflict that I'm having in my mind here. Yeah, that, I totally. I yeah, feel you the... need the other players to <laughs> right. defeat the monster. Yeah, you don't have the other players, you can't defeat the monster. But if you don't have the monster, it doesn't work. I don't know. I'm having a hard time uh, expressing it. Well, I think what's interesting is maybe you could still even have things like uh, if you buff yourself, you buff everybody. You could maybe revive even downed players. But I like the idea of you know, essentially all things tied together, right? Somebody that just, so many times it seems like when it's multiplayer monster hunter, people are just going in and swinging strong and just letting things fly. And I thought it would be interesting to put some friction on that experience and the in Mm -hmm. mostly in the form of trying to say to somebody, Hey, this is not, okay like potentially that long pole arm is not what you want or the crossbow is a little bit more exacting of a weapon because if you knock out the other players yeah that's great maybe you're confident enough to take out the monster alone but the monster difficulty would have to be tuned to be extremely difficult for one person to take out alone what if there is like three players that work together and they're incentivized to work together. And then one player is prompted to be the selfish one. And so if the three players defeat the monster and split the treasure, they all get maximum treasure, but you always know that there's one player and you don't know who, who is prompted to, to get maximum treasure only if he's the last one standing. I like that. I, I wonder if there could be rewards for... I don't know if rewards for dying in battle is the right the right term that I'm looking for, but sort of ways to not leave with nothing completely if uh, if you're sort of downed and out before the time gets up or before the, the battle's over. Yeah, I, I tend to like games where, you know, you don't feel like you've just wasted two hours of your life. But, okay, contrary to that, I one thing that I wanted to try and think about here is let's say maybe there's even parts of the monster because right now everybody loots the same thing in monster hunter if there are parts of the monster that potentially two people have to harvest or split in some way so maybe there are special parts that rely on there being two people left or three people left of a potentially four or five person pool you know i don't necessarily it's going to be hard to keep it from devolving into just sheer chaos, but I think that there could be 
some way to make it feel like a fair competition. You know, one of the things that um, Diablo has that Monster Hunter, at least to my knowledge, doesn't really, is that the types of uh, loot that you receive and how useful it is to you is really based on like your class. I guess loot in Monster Hunter can be useful whether you're working towards like certain pieces of armor or whatever, but maybe different body parts of the monster are useful to different types of uh, classes, so to speak. And so like a tail would be really useful to an archer and, uh, you know, the, the stomach would be really useful for a warrior or whatever. And so, you know, as players work together, then they can take the pieces that are useful to them or they can seal the pieces that are useful to the other players so they kind of carve up the monster at the end of the fight. Uh, or they could try to mutiny their friends and take it all for themselves and sell it and get rich at the market. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I, I like the idea of also bringing in the pre-hunting ritual to sort of a PvP experience where people are cooking meals and buffing themselves and getting themselves all hyped up in order to compete against other players. Mm -hmm. Like if you down the monster, but you didn't do the most damage or something, uh, you're just the last person that happened to be alive at the end. Maybe there's less of a bonus or reward for you to be standing. It's a, you have to do your fair share of damage to the monster because you don't want to be able to just hang back or, or maybe hanging back is, is a strategy, but you're, you're very likely to be killed by the other players. That's interesting. It kind of reminds me of uh, Smash Run from Super Smash Bros. for 3DS in that, uh, you know, you go through this kind of challenge obstacle course and fight enemies and engage in in combat encounters and stuff throughout this giant course in which you almost never encounter the other players. Uh, and then at the end of that round, you are challenged to a fight or a race or something. And based on how much you did in the kind of free exploration period, you either leveled yourself up or you didn't, and you come in either very well equipped for the final battle or sorely lacking against somebody who can basically wipe the floor with you. Yeah, if you could, also if you could like put this in one of the larger Monster Hunter maps, then you could potentially drop, I know Monster Hunter maxes out of four people, which feels so small these days, right? Like what if you mm -hmm. dropped in, you know, 32 or 64 people into that space and, you know, or 100, you I think I see what you're getting at. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, Cheeky I don't devil. know, a random number top of my head, a hundred <laughs> people into that space. And, you know, there's, there's so many little things that happen in a monster hunter sort of level where, whether it's tracking or finding the tracks and like picking up little goopy samples and all this stuff. And like, there is a leaderboard essentially like points assigned to those things in a leaderboard that like people are desperately trying to climb as they track down this monster and based on where your standings are as well as you can like st start eliminating other players right away. So you get mm -hmm. like buffed up and you get powered up for both accomplishing monster tracking and locating the monster stuff and eliminating other players and you get kind of a Highlander situation near the end. So what keeps it from devolving into total chaos and carnage, like when the monster is at like 10 HP? Like, is that just agreed upon that like everyone's going to turn on each other at that point? <laughs> that's that's a good question. So, you know, Monster Hunter has that mechanic of like when the monster is low enough health, they will kind of 
go somewhere else to sleep, to recharge. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that is potentially part of this like sequence of events. Like, could you do something where that plays into it, right? If you like turn your attention to the other players and you decide to pursue them in that way, then you'll you'll be giving the monster a chance to essentially regenerate. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, there's uh there's a very specific flow of battle that I enjoy in uh Earth Defense Force, all of those games, which I love to the end of my life, I'm sure. You know, you're fighting this giant army of insects and uh you always save one or two that you don't kill at the very end because once you kill them the match ends and you want to have that time to go around and collect all the drops that they've uh they've been dropping on this whole time. Uh. So whether it's weapons or health upgrades or whatever, you you always save one or two. You go and hoover up everything that you can and then you uh finally finish them off. I kinda like that end of battle where things kind of cool down and you focus on another objective. Yeah, that would be a cool way. Maybe Monster Hunter has that also that kind of awkward period of the monster's been defeated and a countdown clock begins. Maybe you extend that countdown clock out another like five minutes or something and you have like the person who has looted the monster becomes highlighted and essentially you have to chase that person down and defeat them as if they were the monsters. So like first it's Mm. defeating the monster and then whoever is the one that gets the loot maybe it like gets randomly chosen (laughs) or something like that now that person is actually the secondary target that you have to hunt down and and kill Uh, boy oh boy that would be very strange but kind of cool and it just kind of like keeps diluting itself like dividing in half between the person who was stolen from and the person who stole it until somebody reaches like the exit of the level yeah, yeah, to to the last man standing is maybe getting a pittance if uh, if it's changed hands too many times. I like that. That's interesting. Well, I think we've found our hook right at the last second. So let's uh, let's close that one down. Let's come up with a name for it. What are you going to call this one? Well, I I don't really know. Maybe we do something like Monster Hunted. Monster Hunter Hunter. <laughs> Monster Monster Hunter Hunter is very good. <laughs> Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> Don't doubt yourself. The next logical step in the Monster Hunter franchise, of course, who hunts the hunters? Anyways, let's move on to my pitch today. What I have, it is a grid-based system full of like farms, um, full of crops, and you play a swarm of locusts that must stay alive by devouring these crops. And it kind of works on uh, on a system like one of those little like puzzle games where you press one of the lights and then all the adjacent ones turn on and that one turns off uh anyways what i'm thinking is that you um you like pretty much fully devour the square that you're on and then you have to devour the squares around you and so you have to find a way in each puzzle to get to uh maybe to eat everything or to get to the other end of the map or whatever by you know, systematically devouring each square and making sure that your locust swarm never goes hungry. So let's uh, start the clock there. So I, I want to start up by asking, how do you envision moving from square to square? Is this almost like a mini isometric tactics view we're dealing with? Or like how big is the map? Is it civilization size? I'm thinking it would be like a 
like a cell phone game, um, you know, like a like a Diablo or some one of those simple cell phone type. <laughs> um, no, anyways, uh, like a Million Onion Hotel or something that has like a very simplistic view where you can kind of get a bird's eye view on the, uh, you know, nothing super realistic, but um, yeah, you know, sticking hard to the grid based format. You're a locust. I imagine many people don't like locust. Is there a force against you? I guess is the next question. I guess it's just hunger. And I mean, it's really a, a game about transporting yourself from either one end of the map to the other or uh, entirely clearing the map of the grain or the corn right. or whatever is being grown. And so, you know, it's about trying to figure out the right path of uh, movement. It's kind of like Tetris. There's no necessarily enemy in Tetris. It's just kind of you not figuring out the puzzle correctly. And uh, maybe there's different types of crops that can take more of a beating or more of an eating, I should say. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, you have to circle by corn twice versus uh, grain is fully devoured the first time around. What I like about this is there's a sense of this is the type of game that I find myself probably loving to like save scum as I like <laughs> go mm. in and realize, oh, I did not quite get to the top left corner like I thought I was going to. I'm not even going to play the rest of this map. I'm going to like try it over or whatever. So I wonder if there's ways to, I don't want to say disguise uh, the player, but there's ways to make that sort of into the breach incremental progress feeling as you go through these maps. So maybe, you know, playing a map multiple times is plenty fun or like trying to devour the whole earth is plenty fun. But like each time you're saying, okay, well, you're going to allow, you know, some small working up to permanent upgrades, like you can send off a single swarm to like eat an adjacent tile for one turn or something. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, ultimately like it's a puzzle game. And so, I don't know if, uh, like if things can be contained on a single screen, then I don't know how much like save scumming would be necessary. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, it's like, a it's like, I've been playing a lot of the hex cells games this year, which are excellent by the way. And, um, you know, there is a solution that you can find to each puzzle and it's just about getting there. Um, but I do understand if you are very close to the end of a puzzle and you f just make a wrong choice right at the very end, that can be frustrating. It could be nice to have like an undo feature or something. So I'm eating the grain. Is there, it, I'm, now I'm going into the risk reward category. Is there, is there something that like eating too much or too fast could slow you down? Or maybe there's a way to like, discourage someone from taking what would be a more optimal path or there maybe there's obstacles or something that you have to kind of navigate around in fear of like losing some of your swarm and potentially not being hmm. able to like finish a puzzle possibly maybe like in uh in Lara Croft Go there are enemies like farmers or something that if they if they catch you in their line of sight then they will start to come towards you and start to exterminate you and maybe you can either play through it stealthily by going behind them, operating in like a turn-based fashion, like a board game, or you can you can guide them into a trap by catching their attention, then luring them into a pit or something. I'm moving around this grid. 
I'm eating up all these crops and or I, is it could it be people too in addition to crops? I, sure, I mean I love that. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I love that Hollywood movie scene of somebody being uh, totally overwhelmed by a giant set of locusts or something like that going around and maybe ooh maybe eating or trying to devour certain things allows you like a special ability for a turn or allows you to kind of do something extra or is that kind of bad? I think in puzzle games, as long as like power-ups are a known quantity and are predictable, uh, if it was like an RNG type thing where it gives you one of three power-ups and that can really, it can be difficult to, to predict moves ahead of time, what you're going to do as you set up your optimal route. Uh, but if they're a predictable upgrade, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. It could be interesting to do something that that like equates to let's say you like land on a tile. Maybe eating is depending on the tile or depending on the thing that you're devouring, a little bit less just like a point and click thing. And maybe you even nest a mini game inside of it. You kind of get the the near automata hacking. Uh, thing where you, okay, you take okay. control of like the swarm and you have to buzz around and like stay away from the things that are emitting like toxic gases to keep the locust away. So you have to not just be a swarm, but a smart swarm in a way. How about this? Um, every time you land on a tile that doesn't have food, you lose a third of your swarm and if you here we go if you lose your entire swarm then it's game over essentially you have to restart that match versus if you move your swarm after you lose a third of it then uh, each time you move to a new square you eat less of it and so you can use that almost as a strategy to try to kill off more of your swarm and move very optimally with um with just the the bare number that you need to to win as long as you get some across the finish line then you'll be fine and it's easier because you're not devouring everything around you but you know you have to kind of judge and maybe you get uh, higher rewards if you save more of your swarm that's interesting now what if you add into that some mechanic where you're being pursued uh or stamped out as the swarm potentially by somebody who is a turn or so behind you um mm -hmm. and you have to like to completely devour a title or a tile rather by staying on it for multiple turns if you have less of a swarm so you can okay, fully yeah, eat yeah. a tile but like it, it's going to take three turns to do it meanwhile you get somebody sort of chasing you down yeah and that's also kind of like a limit on how long you can stay on a tile how many turns anyways uh, and then you could even set this up as like a multiplayer puzzle game, which we don't get enough of. Right. So now you kind of have a few win. Well, you have one win condition, right, which is devouring everything. But you also mm -hmm. could you could design puzzles where it's very hard to eat every tile. But like that is just attributed to how well you did or like how complete you did uh, made mm -hmm. the level. And you put the sort of surviving the pursuer um, as another metric of like, once that person takes you out, then then we measure how much of the level you were able to sort of consume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Well, let's um, let's end that one and let's come up with a name. I have a name here which I thought of during the discussion, and uh, I'm pretty happy with it. 
I, uh, I like global swarming. <laughs> uh, gross. Of course. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move over to our community and let's see what, uh, what all of you have to say today. This one comes from Richard Head, who says, Hey guys, love the show. I listen every week. Awesome. Thank you. My pitch is for a game with a cinematic story to tell. The premise is that with the evolution of technology, a group of obscenely rich humans have used their resources to make themselves immortal gods through scientific means, and their goal is to kill the old gods from all sorts of mythologies so that they can replace them and rule the world. A clash between magic and science, essentially. I'd love to hear what you guys can make of this concept. Oh, awesome. Can't wait. All right. Let's start the clock now. What could we do with this palette? Is this like an adventure game? Like, I have to imagine, like, this lends itself to a lot of personality. And, like, I almost have, like, a telltale format in my head. I feel like this would be, like, a great character action type game, like a Bayonetta, where... You know, you can maybe even craft your own character. And those uh, character action games are so uh, full of flourishes, but you play like a very preset character. And sometimes you can mix and match yeah. weapons and stuff to add some variety to it. But it'd be neat if you could kind of build your own character in the way that you could in the Dark Souls or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So get this. You Maybe you could even do something cyclical where... Like every, you could play through the game, beat it, instate whatever like insane named god and mm -hmm. a character abomination that you create as the new god and then create a new character and go through it again. And that that other character, you could almost do like a, a Forza Drivatar like system that <laughs> that that tracks how you have used your combat and abilities and your build throughout the whole playthrough. And then you kind of have to play like a beefed up AI version of yourself. It'd be interesting if uh, almost like a tower of Babel type scenario, although I realize that's not how the story ends, but like as you beat the game, maybe this is like something of dead cells type length. Um, as you beat the game, your character ascends to godhood essentially. And even though he was trying to overthrow the old gods, people start to worship him because he's now the most powerful being on the planet. And so, you know, then the next character has to slay this old god thousands more years in the future. And so all the stages that you were playing on, uh, procedurally generated or such, like new levels are built and old levels are kind of these crumbling ruins that you can go through. Uh, and it kind of mixes up like new levels and old levels and it changes the architecture style as like new cultures evolve and, you know, thousands of years pass. Especially if you did something where if there's a way to theme the bad guys of the game to all like be wearing weird paraphernalia of the like previous yeah. god or something like that so that as you like defeat and and take the place of these gods you are essentially creating new lore and every time you're like thrust into yeah, the future yeah, exactly. you're kind of like seeing people who like are so attached to the thing that you have manufactured yeah that's interesting um 
I like this idea of kind of the cyclical nature of things. Like maybe once you defeat the gods, then, you know, your character as, as he or she ascends becomes vengeful and essentially like wipes the earth clean and technology has to rebuild to that point. And you get this idea that like that challenging and overcoming the gods is like an inevitability of culture as it becomes too advanced. And it has happened probably countless times before you even set foot in the game in the first place. Yeah. Okay. It asks a lot of questions. (laughs) It does. I'm just trying to, now I'm also trying to think of like, maybe there could be like, the way that pendulum swings, even with culture, is back and forth. So I wonder if every playthrough, um, as like the years advance, like what is in vogue is always the opposite. So you have like a science run and then a mythological run. So there are like mm-hmm. two oh, yeah. potential okay. sets of abilities that like, okay, this is, I'm doing this version of the science build for this playthrough. And like maybe each one of them have three each, right? So you have this like really deep variety in customer creation, but maybe a relatively, you know, contained near uh, I have two references near a near sized uh, adventure to get through in the meantime or maybe the things that were technology in a previous run become magic in future runs uh, like you know I don't I, th- I feel like it would be asking a lot of the game designers to come up with so many different types of technology to keep it yeah. fresh every time but like maybe it just appears like magic but Definitely it's magic that's analogous to what your previous god character had used. And so you kind of get the sense of like, you know, whatever it is, like my character just doesn't understand it, can't see it. That's why it's not like transmitting back to me. Uh, You know, I always think that I am at the height of technology, but it's more of like a metaphorical metaphorical thing rather than like an accurate depiction of what your character is actually wearing. It, this lends itself to such clever writing, right? Where you yeah. can write uh, the what was science as really mythical sounding lore the next time through. Yeah, and yeah. Maybe like once you, if you, let's say you play the whole game and you kind of earn yourself up to a particular special technology, right? You're like, maybe you're working an entire playthrough onto like, one big ability or technology and once you play through once that's in the past like all technology that technology is almost commoditized and now like every bad guy in the game can use that ability and so Hmm. every playthrough you're giving the enemies a single new ability each time and making them that much more diverse and more difficult to play through until they're like you know five playthroughs in they're so stacked it's really painfully hard and maybe you have some sort of a agency to like wipe the slate, which kind of resets your own progress. But also, um, you know, there's um aspect of like clicker games, like a cookie clicker and, and games like that, where you're supposed to reset every once in a while and it sets you back to zero, but it also increases a multiplier. And so future runs are that much faster. So maybe you are tasked with wiping the slate clean um but there's some sort of a uh, peripheral benefit that it gives you i like the idea of the numbers going up and that's what a clicker does so what what kind of numbers can we make always go up maybe it's 
population or yeah or even just the experience points that you earn is just always going mm-hmm. like it, it's always right right it's just this never talked about thing that like in world of warcraft like to get to level you know 101 from 100 it's like 10 million experience points where mm-hmm. like at the beginning of the game you're getting 15 xp uh each so i think doing like that and having the numbers that are popping off the screen be like super crazy would be really fun to see, especially on things like streams. <laughs> like, wow, look at this guy. He's got every every enemy he kills, he gets 65 million XP. You'd still have to try to make the previous god feel stronger than you or at least strong enough to be a threat this time around. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's a difficult balance to not make each character exponentially stronger than the person that came before them. Or you make, or the, I mean, you could, this is kind of like a sixth grade commentary on the God thing, but like you do something where the last level is mostly super beefed up enemies and the God behind it all is a very Wizard of Oz type of figure. Okay. Yeah, sure. You strike them down and, and then you yourself become instated as the the would-be impossible to beat thing behind the throne. Okay, yeah. Let's close that one down. Let's come up with a name. I feel like many of the names that would fit this, like God Eater, have already been taken. <laughs> uh, so let's see if we can come up with something else. This is actually using the word good, but what do you think about something like good faith? Good faith. That's, that's uh, I like that one. That's evocative. It's just mysterious enough. It doesn't tell you everything you need to know about it. Yeah. And every playthrough, the, the enemies are like preaching to you the good faith. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's call that one then. Good faith. Thank you very much, Richard Head, again, for sending that in. Uh, If you, the listener, would like to send uh, a new pitch in, which every once in a while we do receive pitches from new listeners like we did today and uh, names that we are unfamiliar with, which is excellent, which means that we're getting a, a broader diversity of ideas, although we do still enjoy very much hearing from the familiar names uh, like Rowan Atkinson. <laughs> right. I wish you would stop writing in. <laughs> uh, right. Well, if you would like to send something in, you can do so at playwrightcast at gmail.com. Email us, or you can go to our website, playwrightcast.com slash pitch, or you can tweet us at playwrightcast in all of those instances. It is P-L-A-Y-W-R-I-T-E-C-A-S-T. You can also do things like leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can listen now on Spotify or Google Play or wherever you get your fresh podcasts every week. And you can listen to Hello World. It's our theme song by Protodome off the album Blue Noise. And thank you to Protodome. All right, Q, uh, why don't you take us out today with a quick little pitch? A makeup simulator game where you have to do the reverse of a funeral home by making up live people to look dead. Okay, well, that's unexpected. Uh, Let's close out there. See you later, everyone. Have a good week. Bye. (laughs) 